0: Okay, listen. I want you to think about the sin that you've done. You can just keep the lights off. We're just going. We're, we're we might even scratch the whole message here. I want you to think about the people that you've hurt, and I want you to think about the people that you have been hurt by. I want you to think about the divorce. I want you to think about the addiction. I want you to think about the thing you've been clamoring and trying to overcome and trying and working as hard as you can for your whole life. I want you to think about the broken relationship with your dad or your mom or your friend or the hurt feelings or the I can't be a dad. I don't want to take this anymore. All I want is a drink. I want you to think about that. And then I want you to say this. The lamb, the lamb is overcome. Amen. Sometimes it just has to get down to basic stuff I, We couldn't do it I couldn't do it And he did it Sometimes we've been beaten down By the devil We're getting kicked in the head It's been a long hard road But at the end of the day The war is already won So we can say at the top of our lungs Hallelujah Man I'm a busted up dude But something's right in me been torn down and he's raised me up I was dead and now I'm alive again I could not walk and now I'm dancing for those of you that are in the middle of the road man it's just hard this morning come to this church and get some encouragement come and be reminded that it's already over and that the lamb has overcome and when he's overcome how small now is the stuff if I've hurt you in this church, if I've, if I've offended you, if I've overlooked you, man, I'm sorry. It's not that big of a deal because he's overcome. Can we just start letting stuff go? Can we start forgiving each other because it's, it's, it's a big deal. This is a small deal. So one more time, we just want to sing this. And I want you to sing it in a personal way. Like he, in fact, has overcome something in you. Can we just sing this one more time? Okay, here we go.
1: We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. And we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Come on, he's overcome. The lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The lamb is overcome. sing hallelujah the lamb is overcome one more time just the
0: voices we sing hallelujah Lord because you have overcome the world and you have overcome everything in it Lord you have overcome us and you've overcome me I didn't deserve to win, but you say stand and be victorious. God, we just ask for your power to come this morning. Not some form of godliness. Knock us down if you have to. Raise us up if you need to. But whatever you do, we say, Lord, that you've overcome. We thank you for that, Lord. Jesus name we pray and everyone said amen and amen. You guys can be seated. I got I got I got Bibles up here that aren't mine. Alex, this is yours, brother. I'm a thief. Got nervous. How you guys doing today? Doing okay? My name is Beck. For those of you that don't know me, I work here Nobody cares. Let's talk about Jesus. Today's message is called Minors and Majors. We're in the book of Nehemiah. We're starting in the sixth chapter. And I'm going to need some help today. Really, I am. Because I have toiled over this message. My poor wife, I was on on Friday. I told her, man, I'll just be at work until about 5. I rolled home at about 3 a.m., she, she wakes up in the sleep. What happened? I said, I don't know. <laughs> the title has changed a hundred times. What God is trying to communicate to me to give to you has been this like up and down puzzle piece. So it may seem disconnected. And I'm just going to trust the spirit to to help us out today. So um, if it's good for you, that's good. If, it, if it's not, I don't know, write an email or something. It's difficult today to navigate in the world. There's just like a lot going on, you know? Think about like books like, uh, what's that prairie book? Oh man, Little House on the Prairie. It's a great book, but it just seems like survival, main theme. <laughs> we have survival, and then we have our interpretation of survival 2.1 cars. That's not survival, <laughs> that is a blessing. But, but what's what? And how do we decide what God wants us to do and what He doesn't want us to do? It seems like a lot of in our life, we are minoring in the majors and majoring in the minors. Like it's all flipped down and upside down. I wake up in the morning and what I'm concerned about, I go to bed thinking, I didn't do anything that mattered. But I was so focused on the minors. Minors and the majors a study and discernment and knowing what's what. The small is big, the meaningless matters, the majors are minors. This is a tactic of the enemy, and the book of Nehemiah is a great depiction of how the enemy works. So that you and I, the believer, can know exactly what the opposition is doing. If we know that, we can identify when he's working against us. Seems pretty cut and dry, isn't it? How come it's not so easy? This is not a new tactic of the enemy. Confusion leading to compromise. It's not so much, uh, um, Spurgeon says it like this. Discernment, which is what we're going to talk about today, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Man, it's easy to say that prostitution is probably not a good idea. Hitting your wife is wrong. Stealing money, no bueno as they'd say in my homeland. Pueblo, not Mexico. <laughs> but what about whether or not you should give this word to somebody? Whether about, what about just encouraging your wife or correcting her? What about confronting somebody or just stepping back and praying for them? There's a key ingredient to the principle and lifestyle of godliness. And it's called discernment. I don't think we know what it is. I don't think we know where it comes from. And I don't think we have any clue how to use it. Now, I don't know. I'm 28 years old. I know nothing about everything. But I might have an idea. I'm going to have the word help us today through Nehemiah 6. Give us an example of what discernment is and how to use it. Today, I want to do three things. I want to clarify... I want to define, and I want to encourage. Church needs encouragement. Look, if you're at a coffee shop or you're running around and you're talking about how bad the church is, do me a favor, just stop. Let's stop talking about how poor God's bride is and start talking about what's in her that's really good needs to be raised up. I need courage, and you need courage. And so I'm going to go to this Word and get some courage, and I'm going to give that courage to you, and we're going to call it an encouragement. And this body together being encouraged in Christ starts to raise each other up and we start to look like the person we've been designed to be the whole time. Prophecy doesn't look like a crystal ball or like I close my eyes and I tap my head. It's none of that stuff. Prophecy is, is me saying, Lord, who is my wife? Who is Lindsay? And him saying to me, man, this is who she is. And he gives me a picture, Clarity. And then I go to my wife and I say, this is who you are. And she's like, "Mm -mm, I'm not that person at all. I hate that person. I don't know nothing about that person. And I continue to say, this is who you are. 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 And all of a sudden, Lindsay becomes the person who God says she was the whole time. It's not prophetic. It's just listening to the Lord who sees all things. And he does that not by tearing you down. Not by saying what the church is it or how bad of a mom you are, but what's in you that needs to come out of you. Encouragement. That's what I want to do today. And Sometimes I'm not a really good encourager because i got a funny looking face and it looks like I'm mad all the time. Hopefully you don't, you don't see that. So let's jump into the word here. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, verse 1. Nehemiah is a, is a prophet and servant of the Lord who is in exile. He gets drawn out by, of exile to a people who are... God's people have been drawn out of exile. They build the temple in Ezra. And now they need to build a wall. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king who had and put these people into bondage. And he asks if he can go build this wall. You know the story. It's an incredible story of leadership. But I think it's an incredible story of how to rely on God. They're in this portion of the story now where Nehemiah has almost finished raising up the wall. And the opposition, opposition, the people outside of the wall, the wall defines who's in God and who's outside of God. We need to have a wall. The enemy on the other side, we're going to talk about those guys in a minute, are oppressing or pushing against or trying to discourage Nehemiah from finishing the wall. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 6, verse one, won't you read with me now? When it was reported that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem say "boo," those are the bad people. Uh, I would teach that to a Sunday school. The little kids go "boo." They're more enthusiastic than you are. And the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it—that is awesome. Although at the time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat, Geshem sent a message. Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, "Come, let us meet together at." Kephrim, um, Kephirim, in the, in the plane of, oh no, everybody say, oh no. <laughs> I love that name. But they were planning to harm me. Verse three. So I went to the messenger saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot come down. I cannot come down. I just want to repeat that all week. Why should the work stop while I leave and, and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Then Sambalot sent his servant to me in the same manner with a fifth a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Uh, chapter 6, verse 6. In it, it was written. It is reported among the nations in, uh, in Gashmu, and Gashmu says that the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it is, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us counsel together. Verse eight. Then I sent a message to them saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but while, while you are in... Sorry, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is about to almost finish with the wall. He has some gates to come up. You'll see in chapter uh, 2, when he leaves at night and he circles the wall, he talks about the dissembled wall, but he also talks about the gates being burned down, they're almost done, and as we've seen, uh, Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem—they're on this other side, the Arab—and they're they're trying to discourage by saying, "Oh, the fox could jump on this wall and push it down." Then they're saying, "Man, this is getting built up. Let's cause a disturbance." Then they become exceedingly angry, and they try to kill. And now they're trying to compromise. It says that they're sending these letters back and forth, and. And Sambalat is saying, hey, well, I heard you're trying to become a king of this land. Don't you know there's already a king in this land? You're trying to rebel against the king. These are the reports we're hearing. Now, those of you that have been here every week through the book of Nehemiah, has that been mentioned once? It's a lie. Nehemiah recognizes that it's a lie and he says, I can't, oh no, I can't come down to oh no. And he says this over and over and over again. He He keeps copying and pasting that text message and just <laughs> replying it back. They try a second time with an open letter. This is the tweet. Okay, if you're not going to deal with us in private, we're going to go on CNN and just broadcast um, how bad of a person you are. We're going to lie to the world. Because if everybody believes you're a liar, then you're a liar. And he says, you've been making this up in your mind. But then he prays a unique prayer, not to get him out of the situation, not to go crush Sanballat and Tobiah, but to strengthen his hands to finish the work. And so I want to pick up, I want to talk about a few things that I think we've mixed up majors and minors. And hopefully through this scripture and, and this exhortation here, you can delineate what discernment means. We good? Okay. The first one is called knowledge and knowing. Let's go back up to verse two. And Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Kefiring, Kefirim, Fearum, I'm sorry. In the plan of, oh no, but they were planning to harm me. What logic leads to that? Hey, let's have a meeting. Nah, you're trying to kill me. I'm an Italian in a Mexican city, so superstition runs like rampant in Pueblo. This is a true story. My grandparents, okay, the Taravella grandparents that I have, they. Man, I don't want to like embarrass them. They stick knives in their garden because if you stick a knife in the garden, almost like sacrificially, the, rust, the knife will rust and then the plants will go better. My grandfather goes through cutlery like crazy. Now, he's blind and deaf and he has no teeth and he still chews, but it just is kind of like all over his mouth and tongue and he can't really talk. He's got this, oh, it's smoker's voice. It's like a mob boss type look to him. Kind of like hobbles around. Grandpa, why are you putting knives in the garden? That's the, the, we have little kids. They're going to cut themselves. They're going to kill them. We're not going to have any little kids if we don't have any corn. <laughs> Papa Taravella, all over the world, in every nation, all from, from the East Coast to the West Coast and back again, people are growing corn without knives. Not as good. That's not true. They will say that he got laid off from a company there called CFNI, and he has this whole elaborate plan as to why he got fired. Parents do this all the time. They were just mistreating my son. Really, were you? Your your son's in jail. He He got kicked off the football team because he didn't show up. Nope, nope, nope. It was witchcraft. We just sort of make these connections between these two dots. And I'm always, I'm Mr. Logical. I'm thinking, like, I don't know how that works. Maybe he just wasn't smart. But Nehemiah makes this connection, and it's not superstition. What is it? It's discernment. It's saying what you're saying to me isn't true, but that doesn't matter because I already know what it is. It's getting through, can't say certain words in the pulpit. That's you get fired for stuff like that. It's getting through the stuff to the core and to the truth of what it is. The Lord is incredible at getting to the truth. He is phenomenal. Sometimes it's hard for me to pray because I'll ask the Lord questions. He'll give me responses that didn't answer my question, but they were the truth. Oh man, (laughs) I don't want to talk about that Lord. I want to talk about my abs. <laughs> Why Can't you help me with my diet? <laughs> nah, man, you don't trust me. Yeah, okay, we can worry about the trust later, but what, let's talk about the abs. No, you don't trust me. Uh-huh. The Lord shoots like an arrow, and sometimes it can be offensive, but it happens on purpose. There's a purpose for his purpose. It's not only to solve your diet problem or your trust issue, but it's to get at the root of who you are in Him. Listen to me. Everything that the Lord does in your life is trying to make you look like Him. You operate like Him, and you respond like Him. And there are many of us in the room that are saying, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want that. Listen, Jack, you can't have both. If you are in this thing, He's in it. To the fullest extent of who he is so that when we measure you up against him there's no difference that seems like it's like a heresy to say god isn't saying i want to be the king of the world he already is that he doesn't need to tell you that he's saying i want you to i want to bring you up to my level will you let me that's a challenge for us to accept but we can't have discernment without it the lord shoots at the truth and here so does nehemiah He's speaking from the heart to this man's heart, and all the messages don't really matter. He says this, we I say this, we lean on our own understanding far too much. The enemy will take all your intellect and he'll give you success. He'll make you, you know, parents dealing with their kids. I'm a coach, and they'll say, Coach, I don't want you to do this with my son. Well, this is gonna help your son. Well, I'm a lawyer, okay, and I make two hundred grand a year. We've been pretty successful doing things my way, so my kid's going to do it my way. Okay? You you know, you make eight bucks an hour as a high school coach. What do you know? Not even that. I'd be praising for eight bucks an hour. (laughs) Works out to like, I don't know, about a nickel. We press in for our intellect to guide our future. The Bible says lean not on your own understanding. We lean on our understanding so much. The devil, the enemy himself, yeah, he's real, and yeah, we're going to talk about him. He gives you success according to your ability to squirm out of tight situations. Your intellect that that thinks you out of a a situation. Your anger that, that beats away the enemy or whatever it is. And then he trips you up. He entices you in. He lures you to lean on your own understanding. And then he puts a situation in front of you that you could not possibly fathom with your intellect. He's led you to get out of it by thinking instead of faithing because we're unpracticed in leaning not on our own understanding but onto Him. Faith is a practice. Faith has to work every day. And just the way you mess up by thinking, oh man, I got that question wrong on my test. You're going to miss by faith. Listen to me. If you were going to go down a road and you heard the Lord say, take a right, but you're saying, Lord, the house is straight away. And you trust the Lord. You take that right hand turned. And let's say you do that ten times. But only five times he said that. Oh, are you a failure? I just can't hear the Lord. No, I say you've listened to the Lord five times more than you would have if you would have relied on your own intellect. Let's start to practice this. He's going to make you do wild and crazy things. And that's okay. Because you want to live a full life. You want to have this abundant, exciting, adventurous life. He wants to offer it to you. Will you listen? When he says take a right, let's start taking a right. When he says confront that person, confront him. The Bible says that Jesus looked up at his dad and he just said, "Look, I'm going to do what he's doing." And then he says, "I'm going to put me in you." Shouldn't we just be doing what he's doing? I think this comes from two reasons. The re- two reasons why we don't. One, we don't believe in ourselves, and second, we don't believe in him. And because we don't believe in ourselves, we have to get really smart. We have to self-improve. And the more we self-improve, the less we will need him because we don't believe in him anyway. It's counterintuitive. And the devil lures us in to more degrees and more intellect and more understanding and being a genius and on and on and on it goes. There's some stuff that we have to face that there is no level of uh, understanding we deal with it. Man, that is a scary thing. Unless you have him. The battle can't be won unless it's already won by him. The lamb has overcome for me in a way and in an area in my life when I had no chance at all. Does that make sense? And this is what Nehemiah is doing. It's the difference between knowledge and knowing him, knowing all that we know and knowing the king of the universe. I may not know very much. I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be married, but I know someone who does. And I know I can lean on him knowledge in this generation today in the church today is what we talked about this morning this morning's prayer it's a form of godliness but it has no power you can look godly you can look you can quote scripture like crazy you can attend bible study but the question is is it doing something now there's some things in the lord that just have a cause and effect right they do you read the bible you'll know more about him you know more about him that's a beneficial thing i'm not knocking knowledge I didn't even mean to do that. That's a cool little phrase there. I'm not knocking knowledge, but I'm saying we can't have it and not know him. Why don't we know him and just learn what he wants to give us? We'll get knowledge, but it's the other way around. Leaning not on our own understanding. That's the first thing. If you want to have discernment, discernment is not knowing a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Discernment is being able to know somebody. It's like this. It's the difference between, I know my mom wouldn't like me to do that because she tells me every day, you need to clean your room verse, man, I know my mom and she ain't gonna like this. Does that make sense? There's a difference between mom saying it, like in the word, we study our Bible, we learn all that we know. That's a good thing. But to meet a situation that my mom's never talked to me about and she never had time to share and I enter that situation because I know my mom, I can say, man, mom wouldn't approve discernment. There's a difference. Okay, the skinny on discernment. In Hebrew, the word is tahem. It means taste. I love that. Imagine closing your eyes and having like ice cream put in your mouth and asking to describe it. Could you instantly recognize what it is? Or salsa? That would be a bummer. Here, here's some hot sauce. What does that taste like? We can discern. It's a fine-tuned recognition of what's going on in the room. We need to start paying a better attention to the atmosphere. Not just who's here and who's not and how much money there is and the data and the stats. But what, Lord, are you doing in the room? Is your presence here? Is it not? Am I just coming to church? Is this guy telling me the truth? Or is this the Holy Spirit using this man? Discernment is a taste. We can get the details out of a big, broad thing. Knowing and discerning, the answer to the invitation at Oh No wasn't anywhere in Scripture. I tried to figure that out. Nehemiah gets this letter from Sambalat Tobias saying, come down to, oh no. And he goes, oh no. But he didn't get that from anywhere in scripture. He was a man of the word. He might've read p- Psalms for guidance. He might've used biblical tactics to, in prayer and understanding to get an answer. But that occurrence, that situation wasn't in the Bible. But he still had to make a decision and he made the right one because he could taste and there's something wrong in the air here. According to my understanding and according to who I am in Christ, there's something up. No, I don't want to come down because I have a great work here and you're trying to harm me, even though you didn't say that anywhere in your letter. Should we use our heart or our mind to make these decisions? See, this is a funky thing. In America, we divide it up. Don't use your mind, speak from your heart. Let me talk about our will, let me talk about our spirit. And then we talk about our soul. Americans are like obsessed with putting things in little crates. Here, let me take you to the soul aisle. This is what a soul is. This is how a soul works. This is the souls you can buy. But it's just, just like this funky thing. In the Hebrew thinking and Hebrew culture, there, are, there is the heart, the physical heart. There's the mind. But then there's something they call the inner man. And in scripture, it's hard to identify, but it's actually called your heart. The use of who you, the deepest part of who you are, the Hebrews defined it as your heart. The word is lad. I love that. <laughs> Cardiac is the, is the Greek word for heart, like your physical beating heart. Liad is the word for your inner man, which incorporates your understanding, which incorporates what you know, which incorporates your spirit, which incorporates the environment in the room, which incorporates who Christ is in you, your heart. And he's speaking to this man's heart. He's saying, you're using the wrong heart. You're trying to get at my intellect. You're trying to appease my fear and my conscience, but I don't operate. I'm not guided by those things. Listen, if you have an anger problem, just stop giving anger a vote. I can be angry, but it's not going to determine what I do. I'm not determined by what I think because what I think gets me into trouble. And I'm certainly not going to go forward by what's happened in my past. I'm going to be led by what's in me, my heart, the inner parts of the man. When you come to Christ, who takes over your heart? He says, I'm going to take that old thing out of them and I'm going to put that heart of stone. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in them. I'm going to be led by my inner man. I'm going to be led by Jesus. We don't think that we can. Oh man, I got to go to church more so I can be led by God. It's, It's right behind the sternum that sits inside your chest. It can really help you out if we get this skinny on discernment. The heart and mind connection in Scripture is everywhere. Let's just name a few. This is going to be hard. Discernment and the heart. This is just a few Scriptures on the connection between words like understanding, knowing, and the heart. Okay? So, let's just get started. For the Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and discerning the... Oh, Lord, thoughts. I'll help you with that word. Repeat when I pause. And the intentions of the... Very good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own under... That was bad. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Every way of a man is right in his own, but the Lord weighs the... Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your mind, your hands, your you sinners. Purify your... You double prove me o lord try and try me test my and my for this people has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they they have they have closed sorry lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and with their and turn and away i would and turn, and I would heal them. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of, of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her to, to what was said by Paul. That was good. Therefore, I, I was provoked with the generation and said they, they always go astray in their, and they not, sorry, they have not known my ways. I messed that all. Uh, let's continue to go. Search me, O oh God, and know my... Try me and know my... I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We have to do communion today, so I'm going to hustle. And I will give them one heart and and a new spirit, and I will put it within them, and I will move the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, and they they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those who heart... Whose heart goes after detestable things and their, abomin- and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord of God. That's just to name a few. Isn't there a crazy connection between understanding and the heart? We take understanding up here, and I got to read a book about it. Give me a Max Licato something, because I got to understand this stuff. Okay. Everything you need to understand all of who God is, is right in you. Because the Bible tells me so. And we can bank on that. We can lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him. And what will He give us the desires of? Our heart. Because He takes over our heart. Discernment is not intellect. Discernment comes from understanding your heart, your inner man. And knowing the difference. Nehemiah knew what it was because he had something in him to listen to. He knew that Sambalat and Tobiah were against him because he had something in him telling him. What's in you? Do you know what that makes you? I don't care what you've been or what you don't know or the degrees you don't have. We have to stop measuring each other by our educational value. And start measuring each other by what's in us. My value for the people in the room really increases when I think about, man, the Lord of the universe is in them. People respect me because I'm a pastor. I've never been to a seminary. I misspell seminary. I had my wife edit this because I couldn't spell discernment. Okay, I don't know very much, but I know that there's something in me, and that something in me makes me something. And you have the same thing in you. So the body of Christ raising each other up in discernment, we become not some guy with some people with a really cool leader that went to a great college and wears fancy shoes. We become a bot, an army, a family a community that as any need was given, somebody else would sell their stuff. As every joint would supply, we would grow up into him who is us. Who's in us. Does that make sense? That's what discernment and the heart is. And that's just to name a few. Let's get, we got to hustle here. Rest and work. Uh, Verse three, back up in Nehemiah chapter six. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Say, I cannot come down. I cannot come down work uh, I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work and uh while I leave it and come down to you? They sent message to me four t- messages, to, messages to me four times in this manner and I answer them in the same way reading is hard. I'm sorry about that. Listen to me. Never negotiate with terrorists. You're doing the the, the work of God. Here's just a little factoid for you to put in your purse. Man purse, satchel, whatever. If you are doing what God want you to do, there are going to be people saying you're doing it wrong. Do, that is just a fact. If we negotiate with terrorists, guess what they're doing? Even if you don't do what they tell you to do, you're not doing what God said. Sometimes we don't need a new plan. Sometimes we just need to keep doing what we're doing. Sometimes we don't have to go to the Google internet and figure out, oh man, I, this is. we need something new. We need to be relevant. I don't want to be relevant, I want to be godly. So to be godly doesn't allow me sometimes to change direction all the time. Do you think God's a wavering God? And if He's in you and He's giving you a plan, can we just stick to the plan? You're going to look stubborn. You're going to look like crazy people. But to God, you look faithful. To God, you look discerning. You know what we're going to need to build this church building? To change this community? We're going to need a plan from God. He gave it to us. He says the church should operate in a certain way. I don't want to change my plan because it's going to be cooler and relevant and we can jump up and down during the fast songs and raise our hands and cry during the slow songs and have really cool lights. I I don't know if that's in our plan or not, but I know it is. This community, the poor, the brokenhearted, finding the lost, seeking and saving them, giving a cool glass of water to a thirsty community and saying, I don't have anything, but what I have in the name of the Lord I give to you, stand up and walk. That's the stuff I have. That's my plan. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be cool doing it or weird doing it. I don't really care because that's my plan. And I can't come down. The Lord is teaching me to walk in high places. How can Nehemiah walk in high places and go down there? You have to stay up here if you want to get his works done. There are places where the Lord is, and you guys have to understand this, there are places where the Lord isn't. People say, man, the Lord is everywhere. And he is. But there's some, there's some places where he's not willing to go. Where he's saying, you can go there, but I'm not going to be there. You can preach this message if you want, but that's not the message I want you to preach. It's easy to dis- distinguish right and wrong. Hey, I'd stay home with my family or go smoke meth. Well, okay. That seems fairly, fairly easy. Stay here with my family, honor my marriage, or go to Bible study. Right and almost right discernment helps me to know what the plan is. No, I can't. No, honey, I have to go. Because that's what He told me to do. And I can't go down there with you. Does that make sense? Perseverance is a spiritual gift. A gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, and He is in you, and so you have the ability to persevere. You don't have to change up your plan all the time. We don't have to continue to be relevant. We're so quick to change it up. Try something new. Maybe we don't need a new plan. Maybe we just need to keep going. And this brings us to rest and work. Real rest. We've made a mess of rest. God created you to rest. People tell me that all the time. Well, Beck, I can't help out because I'm supposed to rest. You know, the Lord rested, right? Yeah. Did you have, do you have God's schedule? You know what he did for the six days beforehand? He deserved a little rest. His work killed him. I, I think we deserve a little rest. Is your work killing you? I'm not saying we shouldn't rest. I'm saying to live in high places is an active thing. And I'm at rest knowing where I am. I am where I'm supposed to be. That's where I'm at rest. We get so caught up and we don't want to help and we don't want to uh, be overbearing and we can't, we can't. Help out in the church or help out in our community because we have to rest because our work is so hard and our job is so hard Listen These guys were building a wall. Have you seen this wall? It's like six stories high. It's enormous and they did it in 52 days That's work There's people in this place building a house with their own hands. That's work. I'm like rolling my eyes like oh I don't want to clean the gutters (laughs) This is such hard work. Don't they know I'm a pastor? Shouldn't there be somebody to like help me put my socks on? I'm doing the work of the Lord. We've messed it all up. You have an ability in you to do incredible things. And you can go farther than you think you can. For those of you that are elderly in the room or getting up there in age, you're not finished yet. Keep running. There's an entire generation of people that need to know what you know. Do the work. Get up and do the work. Now what's work? Waving signs isn't work. Abortion is bad. Man, how about this? Do the work. Go disciple something. Evangelize somebody. Go to your neighbor and say, I've been a jerk and I've never introduced myself and this is awkward and I don't want to deal with it anymore. That's the work because that's the work that's in the plan. Ah oh, man, I don't want to do that work. So I'll do some shadow of the work. I'll do some form of godliness that has no power. I don't want to. I know God's calling me to be an elder, but I don't. I don't think I can commit to that type of work. So I'll be the greeter. Nothing wrong with being a greeter. Tony Wilson, appreciate you, brother. You see the difference? There is a real work that God is asking you to do, and that work may require some sacrifice. That work may ask you to do some stuff that you're not doing already. You may have to give up some stuff. Oh man but that is the work you've been intended to do that keeps you from going down there and it keeps you in rest. Have you ever lay in your bed and thought about all you have to do? That is not rest. Rest is saying I worked real hard. Man, I've toiled and I've labored and I've, and I've strained and this is super hard, but I know that my kids' kids' kids are going to benefit from this, so I don't have to worry about them. I'm at rest with them. That makes sense? Rest and work. It helps discernment helps us delineate when we should do one and when we should do the other, when we're at one and when we're really at the other. Does that make sense? Okay. Closer and louder. In the scripture, we see it getting louder as Nehemiah draws near to the goal, but that is no reason to defer. Okay. So these letters are being passed back and forth. He's getting closer to the goal. The gates are almost up. As he gets closer, everything gets louder. The enemy, if he can't disturb you, he's going to distract you. So, listen, as you are working through this goal, you're overcoming this addiction. You're exercising this thing out with your wife. You're learning how to pray in the morning. It's going to get louder and louder. There's going to be more on your plate and more saying you can't. I'm telling you, it gets darker before it gets brighter but you got to keep going four times. They sent the same letter and four times he said, send it again. We're going to continue to banter you to the enemy says he's going to knock on the door of your alcoholic addiction every single day. Just keep going because it gets as it, as, it, as loud as it gets is a sign for us that we're getting closer. It works both ways. Noise today looks a lot like popularity. Popularity doesn't mean truth that's tough for us. I know it's right because there's been 10,000 people on Twitter saying the same thing. All of them can't be wrong. Yeah, they can. Yes, they can. Everybody's opinion about you can be wrong. It factually can, but God's opinion about you can't be. He only speaks the truth. God can only tell you what is actually true. We have to get away from popularity being, well, everybody's doing it. When I was a little kid, my mom used to tell me that. I'm almost 30 and I'm still struggling. Popularity doesn't mean true. He says in the letters, well, man, there's been many people. The people, there's been reports. What reports? Who has said that? Who said that I'm trying to be the king of these people? Everybody is not always right. You need to know that you're not that fragile. You're not. That when everybody says you're wrong and you feel like you're all alone, you're not that fragile. You can do this. Americans in a bad place. Trump this and Trump that, and oh man, what are we going to do? We're killing gorillas, and it's just all going downhill. Listen, talk to Daniel. You ever heard of a guy named Nero? It's been bad for a long time. Nero was a bad cat. People who discerned according to the Spirit of the Lord have been cutting through all of this trial like butter. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And it doesn't have to force you because it's getting really loud to lean on your own understanding. You're going to be all right. You're not that fragile. You're stronger than you think, not because of who you are, but because of who's in you. So we can hold our chin up. We can put our shoulders back. Well, Beck, you're doing a horrible job. I may be, but this battle's won, Jack. I'm not, I can be, I can get dinged up and beat up a little bit because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. Same thing for Nehemiah. Speaking from the heart. This is the encouragement part. Man, I want you to give courage to one another. I want this body to help each other out. Man, Alex and I, we need help. We need encouragement. I need him to speak from my heart, or speak to me from his heart. Not the heart, like he off the whim. I'm talking about that inner man. And I need to share with him from my inner man. And because of that, we can really start to cut through what is true and what's not. And it's a difficult thing. Let me tell you about the end. You ever heard of Luke chapter four? Luke chapter four is a crazy chapter. It's a story where Jesus was tempted. Now, you guys have heard the story. He's tempted three times by the devil, and he denies him using scripture all three times. Yes, use the word and pray. That's all good. But I want to point out one key fact. In Luke chapter four, it says that he was led in by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was led by God to get kicked or kicked around by the devil. He was led in by the Spirit. But he walked out by the power of the Spirit. Sometimes the thing you're facing isn't to try and ruin you. Sometimes the thing you're facing is to try and make you. You want to get rid of the form of godliness, but not deny its power? Sometimes you're going to have to stare at the devil. And you're going to have to say, no, I'm not going down there. And every time you do, you're getting raised up just a little bit more. No, I'm not going to look at that thing on the internet. No, I'm not going to have that drink. No, I'm not going to do it. Instead of saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this so hard? And why are you tearing me down? And why can't you just eliminate the internet? Help me out. Now, nah, Lord, you've put in me the strength that I need. And this is Nehemiah's prayer from the heart. Don't end these people. Lord, don't just finish the wall miraculously. He says, strengthen my hands. Make me able for this fight don't take this thing from me, don't pass this cup by me, but give me the strength to do it. You're not that fragile. Let's ask the Lord to pray to strengthen our hands for this work in this city, for this work in your family, for this work in your life. And part of the strength He'll give you is the ability to discern. I want to share one scripture with you, and then we're going to uh, get ready for communion and so forth. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is 1 Samuel 16:7. This is how the Lord judges. But I do uh, I do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Discouragement in the word in that in that scripture there chapter 9 or verse 9. He's saying that we may discourage them. The, the picture there in the Hebrew is that we're trying to send these letters so that they'll drop their hands. So the so the, the, the word is yad. So they'll, they'll drop their hand. They'll stop the work. That's why Sambalot and Tobiah were doing that. Discouragement is literally that picture. But then Nehemiah comes back in a discerning way and prays, Lord, pick up my hands. Just keep them up. Because the very thing that's trying to tear me down, I'm going to pray against that, that they'd pick up my hands. I pray for you today that your hands would be strengthened. Don't stop the work. Don't get distracted from the work. Don't think there's a better work or a more relevant work. Don't think I need to rest. I just need to, no, just do the work. And may your hands be strengthened. Let's let's stand here. Can we have the worship band come up? We have to hustle and bustle.